Hey guys, it's Liz, and you are listening to Dear Younger Me, Love Me, where we give people the chance to write a letter to their younger selves in hopes that we can learn a little bit from their lives. Hey guys, welcome to Dear Younger Me, Love Me, and today we have Cody Hope here with us, and he is 27. He is the pastor of youth. Did I say that right? What? Yeah, that's yeah, close enough. That's close enough. At the Huntington Church, for, uh, at the Huntington First Church of the Nazarene. That one. That it's one. got a really long title. <laughs> you know, we just call it HNAS. Cody has been in Huntington County for eight years, including his time at Huntington University. And then the years following that, he is married to his lovely wife, Rachel. And they have two dogs that he says his wife loves. And I tolerate, and it's <laughs> it's a it's a great balance. It's a beautiful thing. So, Cody, you would think that as a pastor, you grew up in a Christian home and have have always been super Jesus and 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 all that kind of stuff. But that hasn't necessarily been the case for you in your journey growing up. So, will you share a little bit about that journey and and how that changed for you? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think that there is an assumption um, with pastors youth pastors that man they've just loved jesus since they like came out of the womb um and it's funny like i know several even my my boss bobby um we have a very similar story in that regard um i didn't become a christian really until i was in middle school um i grew up in a kind of a single mom lived with grandparents home um, and so my parents, fun fact, were in high school when they had me. So, All right. uh, my mom turned is a, uh, just turned 43. Mm. So don't do the math on that <laughs> kids. Wow. I know. Um, but yeah, so like growing up, like we were an anti-Christian home by any means. Um, but we didn't really go to church. We didn't really talk about God. Like it just, we were American Christians mm. at best. And so. Um, you, you went to, cr- to church on the holidays. Yeah, and yeah, or with my grandparents yeah. um, to get lunch afterwards. Because that's what happens when you go to church is you get free lunch. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, no, but like what changed for me was a friend inviting me to youth group. And not even like a really good friend, just more of an acquaintance friend. And I didn't really want to do that. But uh, I think as a lot of middle schoolers, you just want to, you don't want to let anybody down. You don't want to not impress people. So I went and it really did change my perspective. And so I think one thing though, is I, you know, I was thinking about what would I say to my younger self? I think this kind of created in me this kind of dichotomy of like the only place that I saw Christian values was at church, not at home. Yeah. And it kind of like made me kind of a legalistic believer if that makes sense like it yeah made me... how would you define legalism for you yeah back, especially in that time yeah and not, like here's what i would say and I, I kind of alluded to this in my letter but you know i had a hard time seeing you know to me there were christians and not christians and if you cussed or if you you know you drank or you did any of these things not christian like yeah. those are not christian behaviors and so like the idea you know and just kind of growing up um you know in a home with extended family that drank, like, oh, that's not what Christians do. Like, the people at church don't drink. They don't smoke. That, like, And so I had a really hard time, you know, that Christians also do things that I'd, I think they don't do. Does that make sense? So my yeah. legalism was very much a blindness to what it really meant to be a Christian. Um, I thought Christians were all in behavior. 
um, that they did the right things, that they made moral decisions. Um, and so that really, I think, caused a lot of issues for me in high school, especially. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty, I can be a combative person. I used to be, I think, a lot more combative, um, especially in high school, about I just have to convince people I'm right and yeah. they'll become a Christian. Like if you I were, can, You were like... Not were you on the debate team or anything uh, like that? Yeah, I wasn't, but yeah, like that. But would you would have been. That would have been, been in my like wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah, like I was nerdier. I was on the skill bowl team. Mm. Like you know, what is old, you, what is that? That is, it's Team Jeopardy. Okay. Like I was on TV actually, so you were. Yeah, I was on the Indianapolis news station like on a Saturday night for it. It oh my was gosh. Yeah, so super popular There's in high school, obviously. <laughs> Fifteen minutes of fame. Yeah, and so like yeah, and so yeah, I think that created in me. Um, I lost a lot of not even friendships. People just didn't want to be around me. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, looking back, like man, people did not want to, did not want to be around me because I was miserable just striking fights with people yeah. and so well you didn't leave any room for grace no not at all it was all it was either or like if you're a christian you do all of these things it's that moral compass you know your actions follow all of this which is in a way true but that leaves no room for humanness or mistakes and so yeah. when you made a mistake how did how did you react when you made those mistakes if you were in that camp like how how did you feel when right. you when you messed up? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And I think part of it is I didn't have grace for anybody. Yeah. Didn't have my grace for myself. I think that's part of the issue is, you know, when I made those mistakes, I was so internal about it and so hard on myself and so guilt ridden, um, very guilt ridden. And so like, I think part of that it kind of fed itself. The more guilt, the more the la- bigger lack of grace for other people. Mm. Um, and so yeah, like. You know, really thinking about that, it's like, man, who, like, I'm thankful for the friends that I still have from high school, like, the few that, like, could stand me and tolerate me. I don't know how they did that, but, yeah, so. So how did you, when you had those moments where you wanted to argue your way to convince someone your thought process was the right thing, or... Um, argue someone to Jesus or, or to get people to stop. Doesn't drinking. that sound dumb? <laughs> that sounds like the dumbest. I like, I'm going to argue you to Jesus. Right. Uh, and so like, what did you, what are some examples of things that you did cringy or not where you're like, Oh, I, that is so not what Jesus would have wanted me to do, yeah. but well, I really hung my hat on that. Well, and this isn't even like, this was more of a joke, but, like, sometimes my jokey humor was, like, very, you know... There like, was a lot of a lot of feeling behind your yeah, jokey humor. Like, I probably shouldn't... Like, this one I just think is, sticks out to me is, like, we were... I, I was, like, a junior, and there was a girl who just drove a lot of people nuts, drove me nuts, and she was complaining about her mom. And this may have been right after the earthquake in Haiti, and I said, you know who really misses their mom right now? Don't say yeah, it. Yeah, right. Don't say it. Right. Oh, yeah. no. But, like, that was my kind of, like, it wasn't even about Jesus. It was mm. just about, like, you're being a jerk, selfish person, so yeah. let me be a selfish person and tell you you're being a selfish person. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, I was quick to point out everyone else's issues and flaws, and, yeah, mm-hmm. so. It's like the, the parable that Jesus was talking about of, like, the People didn't see the the plank in their own eye. They were just focused on the like 
the splinters and the dust when everyone else is. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought about. You know, you'd ask, what's a verse that's kind of helped me since then? And absolutely, it's that. It's this idea of, I was so busy looking for any issues in other people that I, I, I could, like, swing my head and hit somebody with a giant plank in my mm-hmm. eye. And even just in the sense, I think, um, sometimes we... And it's not that we don't recognize the plank in our eye. It's that, like, we just assume that people, like, we, other people want what we want. Yeah. Like, I want people to tell me there's a plank in my eye. But I just, like, I think I had an assumption that everybody wanted that. Yeah, but no one had asked for that conversation. Right. Nobody, like, yeah. Nobody was like, Cody, please hold me accountable. Right. You would have been a great accountability partner. I, yeah. I but no one was asking no one, you. No one was asking for that, yeah. oddly enough. Yeah. So. And it, you were holding people accountable that weren't even trying to move in the same direction as you. Right. Right. That weren't following Jesus even. Right. You were like, hey, Jesus doesn't want you to drink. And people are like, well, I don't care about what Jesus says. And then absolutely, that would, you guys would go back and forth with that. Yeah. I think that it's hard to have you know conversations on that level when you're not on the same level, when mm-hmm. you're not in the same place. Um, yeah. When you are so focused outwardly on other people's actions... Did you take any space or like looking back, was there any time where you looked inward and actually looked at yourself? Yeah, I, sure. I mean, I would say all of this doesn't come from a place of superiority, but inferiority. Okay. Right. That my judgment was not, a, I think I'm better than everyone else. It is a, I think I, I really do feel inferior, but I need like, it's almost like a bring them down to my level. Yeah. Judgment. Mm-hmm. You know, like I like, and, and I don't know, I wouldn't have the words to say that then. Um, but like that, I think really was what it was is I'm going to bring people to the, the understanding. I understand I'm sinful. I want everyone else to understand that in a kind of an unhealthy way. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like if I'm going to be sitting in the mud, I want all of you to be yeah. in the mud with me. Yeah. You're all going to sit in the mud puddle with me. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. Okay. What changed? Because you went, obviously, after high school, you went to college. Did you continue that mindset in college? Or what are some of the big uh, milestones for you of of steps in a different direction? Yeah, I think college was a huge part of breaking some of that. Um, Being around people that are different, um, think differently, believe differently at times. Um, And there's really just more space for it. Like, there's more... Uh, you just kind of learn that there's more room at the table than what you th- think there is. Um, yeah, and then meeting Christians who and uh, people that I respected that drank or that did these other things. And it was like, whoa, like, what? Like, you can do these things? And I think that kind of opened my perspective a mm-hmm. little more. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, that that for me was huge. And I think also just, like, I've had to learn the hard way. Like, I've had to, like... Over time, have people that I trust point that out in me, yeah. um, and that's really I think help shape help shape me to to this point. It's not a, I don't think there was ever an instantaneous overnight mm. thing. It was um, the number of relationships that I ruined finding people that didn't give up on me and pointing those things out. And you know, I think over time, that's kind of what shifted. Yeah, and 
there are some things that the Bible is really clear on what you should and oh, shouldn't absolutely. do. Absolutely. You know, so even with the drinking thing, it's like, don't get drunk and absolutely. stay within the law of the land. And so right. like if you're 21 and you have a sip of wine here and there, that doesn't mean that you're not a Christian, Sure. you know, but you know, partying and right. uh, underage drinking and all that. Yeah. That's definitely something that we shouldn't do, but it, there's a different approach that we need right. to take on these things now. And, and, and so what is a way that you learned over time how mm-hmm. to approach people for, sure. to correct them and to hold people accountable and to sure. call things out? Because we are called to do those things, but not in right. a judgy way. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think part of this too is um, I, I experienced a change in going from black and white thinking as a uh, adolescent as a teenager to a much more gray thinking adult. Um, and I don't know if that's a personality shift that I've had or just growing up, but like I'm able, I think, to see a little more gray area in things, which I think has helped. And I also think like there's definitely a level of, you know, people have to participate in their own um, accountability, Mm, right? People have to like, if you want to keep, like if people want to be kept uh, accountable, you have to let them tell you that. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't, you can't just assume that. And, And that's something I've, again, learned the hard way. Um, but yeah, that's one thing I think too, like, it's not like, I can only love Pete, like, um, I had a professor who, who really, I love how they phrased this, talked about the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And he's like, I don't love that because like, we just assume that our needs are their needs. Like we really should like do unto others as others would want to be done unto. Yeah. Right? We really should love people for the love that they're looking for. Uh, and not always, you know, there are times I think that you have to love people uh, in a way that is corrective. And, yeah. But I think that's got to be, you got to have a relationship first. And that's really what I've learned is you've got to build to that point. Mm, yeah. And so as you were journeying in this yourself, what are some, some ways that... God transformed your heart in that way. Sure. Yeah, I think that um, I think God really helped me see a more um, yeah grace given self. I guess a, a self that was able to give myself grace and also others grace. And um, one of the concepts that I think has really changed how I think about things with the idea of a table um, that. When I was in high school, my table was really small. Yeah. Um, the pe- the people that could sit at God's table was a select group, and they acted a certain way, and they behaved a certain way. Um, I've just kind of learned, and, and through Scripture, like, I think the table is far bigger than I could ever um, express and think about. I think there was more room at the table um, than we give credit for. And so I think that's one thing that God's worked in my heart is, you know, there's always room for people who have made mistakes, who, people who... Um, don't always look the way that we can see what a Christian looks like, but there's room for that person. Um, that his love is incomparable to that. Yeah. So how has that now, how has that changed how you view yourself? Because you were sure. talking about how like you had such low self-esteem oh, sure. and you were reaching out to people because and challenging people because you felt that way yourself. Absolutely. So how, how did that change how you viewed you? Yeah, I think one way that that in my own heart changed is I, I don't know if I became less critical of myself, um, but I think I, be, I became much more receptive to what others around me 
um, the people I trusted, right? Not mm-hmm. not everyone who has an opinion about me, because there's a lot of those people, and I shouldn't trust every everything they say. But um, the people that were close to me, you know, I've really I think trusting what they say about me, and then testing that to God's word, I think really changed how I viewed that level of insecurity, if that makes sense. Yeah, I um, I was reading, well, I've read a lot of books by Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with her at all, but she talks about how there's people that sit in the cheap seats and then the people that pay the money to sit in seats up close. Yeah. And the people that sit in the cheap seats are the ones that you need to let those words just bounce right off of you. Absolutely. And then the ones that have invested and have taken the time and that are willing to sit close for a long period of time, those are the ones you can listen to. Absolutely. And I think too, like criticism often is a sign that you may be doing something right. Mm-hmm. Um, not always. Like there's sometimes criticisms, you're being a jerk, mm-hmm. but like a lot of times like critics show up because you're doing something that's difficult and hard, but is right. Is yeah. a, you know, and so think about any historical figure that's ever tried to lead a movement. They had critics, obviously a lot of them were killed. And so, yeah, I think that Learning to listen to the people that have put in the time with you who, yeah, paid the cost of being your friend, um, I think is really important. Yeah. And so how did that, now that you're, you're married now. I am. I would would love to hear how this journey has transformed how you relate to Rachel in like when you're married and because I'm married and I know that that's really hard to not judge someone else all the time and you know, like. Pat leaves things soaking all the time. And I'm mm-hmm. like, a Christian wouldn't do this. A Christian would, <laughs> would clean the kitchen. Right. I, I, a Christian <laughs> wouldn't just leave their hair in the drain of the bathtub. <laughs> so no, e- I get that. It's so easy to go there. I, yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, um, we have to measure the other person not based on what, what would I want, but what does love look like? Yeah. I think that, like, um, you know, I, I was telling, this is last year, we're talking about love and talking about dating. And, you know, I basically told students, I said, like, you don't really love someone until you would do something um, really gross and just, like, you know, if Rachel threw up all over my house, right, and she, like, I would tell her to go to bed. I wouldn't tell her to clean up her own puke. Like, Mm -hmm. doing, like, love is inconvenient, right? And I've really, I think, learned, like, I have to um, make less of me and more of love in our marriage, if that makes sense. Like, I've got to choose... The path of love, even when it's hard, even when I clean up vomit, even when I'm, you know, I don't know how many times I've had to reload the dishwasher, Mm -hmm. you know, the the way I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like that. And that's just it. You have to every day make that decision to be, I'm going to do what, what the, what love demands of me, not what I demand of me. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to jump back into our old habits of black and white thinking and, uh, forgetting the gray area because gray area is hard. Black and white, it's like you know exactly what's right and exactly what's wrong. The gray it leaves a lot up to giving it to God, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do you stay in the gray area and stay in love mm. when it gets really hard? Absolutely. Yeah, I think part of part of that, staying in kind of the gray area, if you're not asking questions of people, if you're not hearing more about their story, I think it's really easy to become a black and white person. Mm. Um, it's really easy to look at someone's life from the outside and go, I, I know all about that. That is, This is how their life is. Yeah. The, it's, I think it's really hard to ask questions and to get to know someone and stay black and white. Yeah. 
Um, the more you get to know and you listen and you hear and you hear why they do what they do and you hear some of these things, you become much more open to, to love and to grace when you hear their story like mm-hmm. that. Um, and so I think that like key to doing that is staying curious, asking good questions, always never assuming, right? Um, there's a quote that I quote all the time and Rachel, every time I say it, like rolls her eyes, but I think it's awesome is the, the assumption of love um, drives out the the possibility of offense. Hmm. So, like, it's really hard to be offended by somebody that you just assume loves you. Yeah. Um, and so that's one thing I do to, like, stay in love is, like, you know what? I'm going to assume that they love me right now, and so I'm not going to be offended by what they say. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And there's power in calling things out and saying, hey, that hurt me, but right. I don't doubt you love me. Right. But we can still change behaviors and those Yeah, absolutely. Things. Yeah, that's not a justification of... That's more of a how do you not become just grizzled by the hurtful thing and just go, oh, okay, I, yeah. I'm black and white now, and I like you hurt me, and now we're now mm-hmm. we're You're against cut each off. Other. I'm building a wall, and you can't. Nobody else can get through. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So over all of this, and it, it, you made a really big transformation of feeling very judgmental towards others, this black and white thinking, to now. You built a fence with a gate and anybody can come in and the table's huge and, and all of that. So what are some verses or songs that really stuck out to you that, that keeps you in that mindset? I know you hinted at one when we were talking earlier, but what are some of, some of those things? Yeah. Uh, one of the verses for me and like, um, this was a verse I loved in high school, but I think like I read it now and I go, Oh, like that's not just me. Like, this was not, it didn't say Cody in this verse. I think I used, I subconsciously used to just think it was me. But Romans 8, 1, there is, uh, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I and I think um, that's such a powerful one. You know, like, I would use that in my own self. But I also think, like, there's no condemnation for um, others who are in Christ Jesus. So I shouldn't be one condemning them. Um, I, you know, like... God has not called me to be on their condena- uh, condemnation crew. You know, a song is um, Always Room by Josh Garrels. I'm a big Josh Garrels fan. Yes, so, that's so good. Yeah, I mean, like, a lot of his songs just about, you know, God really just beckon us home. Um, you know, come on home. There's always room at the table for you. Yeah. And then another, one one um, story from the Bible, and there's this book that I think is really... Sh- I know that wasn't really your question. It was what book shaped me, but I'm just going to hijack your yeah, question. throw it in there. Um, there's this guy named uh, Henry Nowen, and he uh, was a Catholic priest, and he taught like at Notre Dame and like Yale, and he was like the top of the top and had this kind of like midlife crisis and decided, hey, I, I need to do something that God's called me to do. So he goes and he works at a place where he's working with those who are mentally handicapped, mentally disabled, um, and he spends the rest of his life as this super learned priest working with people who can barely speak, barely write. Um, and it really changed him. Well, one of the books he wrote is Return of the Prodigal Son, um, which is probably my favorite book of all time. And I think that really helped me understand when we listen to the story, if you know the story, it's in Luke, um, Luke 15, talks about a son runs away, takes all his dad's takes all his inheritance and just spends it. And a lot of times we think of ourselves as the younger son, that we we make all these mistakes and God welcomes us home. But that book really challenged me to think of myself as the older brother Hmm. um, and the ways I'm... And and that really, I think, inclusive of all of this, like I've been an older brother, like I've been judgy, I've been 
bitter by how other people get grace. And so that would be a huge, I think, thing that really changed how I've seen things. Yeah, man. Henry Nouwen is probably one of the most transformational authors that I've also read. He's absolutely incredible. So if you guys haven't read anything by Henry Nouwen, pick up a couple of his books. They're absolutely incredible. Yeah, I think one one that's really easy for like high school students is In the Name of Jesus. It's super short Mm -hmm. and it's super good. Yeah, it was one of the first books I read of his and I couldn't put it down. It was amazing. It's awesome. Yeah. So Cody, right now, I would love to give you a chance to read your letter to your younger self. Sure. Dear younger me, it's hard to start a letter to yourself. Uh, There are honestly, uh, there's honestly so many things I want you to know about the world and how to operate in it. There are so many painful interactions and struggles you will have in the next 10 years plus and um, that I just want to rescue you from. And yet, on the other hand, it is for these mistakes, failures, struggles, and hardships that you're going to grow and it's going to make you a better person. So if anything, I'd want you to be able to navigate the world as a more authentic lover of Jesus and others. And so here's some of my advice. Um, One, I I for sure want you to know that judging others will never get you where you want to go. Uh, I recognize now as a teenager, so often the world looks so black and white, right and wrong, Christian and not. Uh, And I assure you, though, it will get grayer. You will begin to see beyond the actions of others and into the hearts of others. Um, There's so much more to someone's story than just the cover page. Instead of passing judgment on others, exhibit a holy curiosity about others. Ask better questions. Seek to understand far before being understood. Talk less and listen more. Number two, pick the relationship over being right. You seem to love being right. You love arguments and debates and proving others wrong. Uh, And you're going to learn soon enough that you have a choice to make. You can be right or you can be in a relationship. And I can tell you that I regret every single time I chose opinions over people. Convictions are good, beliefs are good, but they don't always have to be spoken. Be known not by your beliefs, but the way you love others. Agree to disagree. Be kind with your words. Leave a seat at the table for others who don't think like you. And finally, grace is the operative word. You need it. Your friends need it. Your parents need it. Your teachers and other adults need it. Everyone needs grace. And the best news is that it's free, so don't be so stingy. I think that if you had uh, more grace for yourself, you would have much more for others. Jesus offers us grace every single day. Don't miss an opportunity to both give and receive it. The amount of grace you allow directly impacts the way you love others, so go and give grace abundantly. Cody, you are loved, you matter, and so do other people around you. Love them with your actions first, and when necessary, use your words. Love me. Hmm, that's so good. I I love that emphasis on grace that you were telling your younger self because I think it's so easy to get caught up in in all of those things. If you were to define what grace really looks like for you, how mm-hmm. would you how do you describe that? Yeah, you know, I um, one of the ways. I, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, what's, what is grace defined? It's, it's getting something you don't deserve. Um, it's being, it's not just getting off the hook. It's not just, but it's something you totally don't deserve. And so I've, I've kind of heard a difference between grace and mercy. Mm -hmm. Um, if I'm speeding and I'm going 20 over the speed limit and the cop pulls me over and decides not to give me a ticket, that's not grace. That's actually mercy. Yeah. Right. I should have, should have done that. If he pulls me over doesn't give me a ticket and then gives me a $20 
bill and says, you know what, go buy yourself, like, which obviously is not going to happen. Yes. <laughs> Don't go speeding to see, test this out. But that's actually grace. It's not only do I not deserve the mercy, but like I don't deserve anything, and it's a gift given, if yeah. that makes sense. And so, like that's kind of how I would define grace is it's a gift given of um, maybe space, and maybe just um, I'm going to give you the space to be human and loved. Mm-hmm. Just I, I don't have to approve of what you're doing. I don't have to approve of what you're saying, but I'm going to get like I'm going to love you. Even when you're maybe not acting worthy of how I would want to give that love. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. And that's exactly what Jesus did. You can think of countless story after story after story and account after account of Jesus loving someone when they did not deserve it. I just read the story of Zacchaeus mm-hmm. in in Luke 19 and he's just talking about how Zacchaeus was the worst of the worst. He was a cheater. He stole money from people. He, and he was short. And he was short. And he, he was just, and he was in a tree just watching Jesus. He didn't even call out to him yeah. or, or anything like that. And Jesus walked to him and called Zacchaeus down from that tree and says, I am going to sit with you at the table today. Mm-hmm. And, and so Zacchaeus did literally nothing to, to do that. He was probably in the tree wanting to see Jesus to see a show, yeah. to see if a miracle was going to happen or, right. you know, like anything like that. But Jesus called him out of that tree and says, no, you don't deserve any of this, but I want to be with you. Yeah. Actually, this is the last thing I taught students when we were in person last time was this, you know, I wonder how the crowd felt. Yeah. All of these people who think they deserve time, face time with Jesus, and they're, like, in the crowd pulling at him, trying to get his attention, waving. Um, you know, like, and I feel like that's how we feel sometimes. When, yeah. When we, when we see God give grace to people who we've already judged, like, oh, they don't deserve it, and they don't, they're not even looking for it. Um, what about me? I think that anytime you have the, the question, what about me, that's not a good sign. Yeah. Um, I've never said, what about me? And like, oh, I'm I'm being great. Like, mm-hmm. that is, I think, a warning sign that you are low on grace when yeah. you say, well, what about me? Yeah, that's that's a really good observation. And it's, it's so important because it is really easy to forget that part, to, yeah. to focus on like, oh, wow, God just gave grace to this one person. But yeah, I'm sure the rest of the crowd was like, what the heck, man? We've been calling out to you asking you for these healings right. and you're focusing on this guy that doesn't even deserve it. That hurts other people. Absolutely. Yeah. That's crazy. So somebody who's listening to this, that is in a similar spot to you, who's maybe struggling with judging others sure. or struggling with not, not being able to, to give grace to themselves right. and grace to others. What kind of advice would you have to give them? Yeah. I would challenge them just to be, um, I think more, again, questions. I think questions to me started unlocking. When I ask people questions, when I want to get to know someone's story more, um, I think I automatically become more empathetic. Yeah. Um, I become automatically like, you know, everyone has opinions about something until it impacts your own life, until it impacts the people you love. And so if we don't ask questions, I, I think it's hard to develop grace for people. Um and, it, you know, I think, too, when we start asking questions, we start to relate to them. We start to see the similarities in our own stories. And, again, we can have more grace for us and mm. when we've seen how they've modeled grace in their life. So, yeah, I think for me it was this idea, like, um, you truly just holding curiosity, having a curiosity about people. Yeah. And it's no wonder that almost every 
transformational action Jesus had when it came to building a relationship was around a table, mm-hmm. was sitting at a meal or inviting someone to a table. And it wasn't just because like eating is really great, yeah. <laughs> which I love eating. Eating's the bomb. <laughs> but it was the conversation relationships built around that. Mm-hmm. And so it's just how this example that Jesus lived. And it's, you know, notice too, like, like when we read Jesus's words, like they're pretty much all questions. Jesus yeah. didn't just say, and now let me, you know, let me tell you about the time I got a parking ticket. Like that wasn't Jesus. Like if he did tell a story, it was a story that had a lot of questions. Parables often said, and who do you think is this? And what do you think is that? Um, but a lot of times, even when he's healing people, he, like he asked the guy, one of my favorite stories, he asked the guy at the pool of Bethesda, who's been lame all of his life, who can't move, can't walk. Do you want to get well? And the guy's probably like, well, duh. Yeah, like, yeah, seriously. Why would I be here? Why would I be trying to get healed? Like, um, but I think like that's a great like internal question. Like, do you actually want to be well? Mm-hmm. Like, do you, do you love the idea of like being healthy, or but like, do you really understand what that means for you to get well? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think Jesus asked tons of questions and around meals and around food and around those experiences mm-hmm. together. And I think it's important to even ask questions within yourself too, because that's that's something you were missing growing up is yeah. not asking a lot of questions within yourself. Like, how am I doing? What do I need to change in my life? What are some th- things that I need to work on and actually doing the work to fulfill those things as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think questions and just, again, it's having a health, healthy sense of, because I didn't know christians in my own family who could model mistakes yeah i just thought the people at church were perfect mm-hmm. like you don't have a real you don't have a real understanding of their own sinfulness and so like it's hard to allow yourself to have any sinfulness when it's not modeled up close for you yeah um when you don't get to watch a parent or a grandparent really model how to how to have mistakes how to have flaws and be a christian yeah and then you start to romanticize this idea of Christianity and you're yeah. like, well, all Christians are perfect, so I have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And then that creates a whole new set of, of issues and problems. Yeah, absolutely. In actuality, we're all human beings and we all make mistakes and Jesus loves us all. This, all He loves all the little children. Amen. Amen. <laughs> he loves all the little children. <laughs> all of, even the green ones. Even the green ones. <laughs> I've always thought that's like the weird, like... Like they just like, well, just throw all the colors in there. They just like, throw throw them all in. The kids that got have gangrene. That's right. He the, loves them. The kids that are seasick, like a cartoon. He like, loves them all. All of them. <laughs> well, Cody, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been such a great conversation, and I think that a lot of people are going to be able to pull some some things from this. And I know that's something that I struggled with too, because I didn't become a Christian till I was in high school, and so. That, that black and white thinking was a big struggle for me. And so I resonated with a lot of the stuff that you were talking about today. And so I really appreciate your honesty and your realness and your willingness to make mistakes well yeah. right now and to, to create that example that you didn't have growing up, which is really great. And, and Cody, I love working with you. I love doing ministry side by side with you and trying to um, hang out with the teenagers in Huntington County and through Campus Life and through through uh, HNAS Church and you do really great work, and I appreciate you a lot. Well, thank you, Liz. Thanks for allowing me just to be on. And this is, I think, uh, such a healthy thing. Um, we will all have these moments where we wish we could go back and write a letter to ourselves. We'll all have those moments where you're like, man, I wish 
Yeah, like I, you know, when people talk about how great high school was, I'm like, mm, like was it? Well, no, it was not so much for me. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, and I, I appreciate, I, I appreciate working with you and getting, um, getting to do this together. And I think one thing I would just let you know, students know, like, um, working on mistakes is a constant thing. Like, Amen. I think sometimes it's hard to, you know, admit to mistakes when you feel the pressure of like, ooh, he's a pastor, like. Kids are like, I, I, I hate telling students that sometimes, like, because they, they hear pastor and they mm-hmm. they have these preconceived ideas, like, I put my shoes on, on the wrong foot at first, and then I switch them over like everybody else. Yeah. Like, I, you know, we, um, we're humans. We're all humans. Yes. And so, um, but yeah, I really have appreciated this time. It's been awesome. Thank you. And everybody at home, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you like us on social media, follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or really anywhere else podcasts are found. And then make sure you guys share this, tell your friends, um, you know, share, share this message. And guys, I hope you learned a little bit more about Cody today, a little bit more about yourself and a lot more about God and go out and have an awesome